eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And we're back, folks. Another edition of the Michigan Recruiting Insider Podcast. And uh, again, getting back into our every week rhythm. And last week we talked about, is it is it flip season? Uh, you know, we talked about guys like uh, Amarion Walker, right? That was the one that was first and foremost front and center. But he was not the only receiver that we talked about. Not the only receiver we talked about being a flip possibility. So we will start off this podcast talking about that and talking about official visitors with the crew that I think is the best around when it comes to covering the Michigan beat, football, basketball, and recruiting. Starting off first with Mr. Steve Lorenz. Steve, how are you? Good. Just recorded with Zach. Went off for about five minutes about the reaction to last night's rankings. (laughs) So, so I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm still, I'm still, uh, energy still high right now. So you uh, gotta admit it's kind of funny. Steve. It's, it's hilarious. The reaction though is just so is more comical than the actual, them being ranked ahead of Michigan state. Uh, the ranking, the reaction was ridiculous. I, we went off about it. So, um, like I said, the energy's still high right now. Yeah. And anyone indignant about it, like it's this great, like, did you watch the game? Anyone who watched that game? No, it was a super tight game. That was extremely influenced by officiating so stop it stop it with couple, all the overreaction a couple national writers i think foaming at the mouth last night type in their tweets after they uh you know saw michigan ranked ahead of michigan state i just uh just some comical reactions across the country <laughs> bryce marich also with us bryce how are you good but uh, you know I, I got a quick question so does the season end because i had a lot of michigan state fans basically you know crying to me saying why are they ranked I don't think the season's over, Sam. No. Uh, you know, I, you know, I, I don't know why everyone's freaking out quite yet. No, it'll all be settled on the field. I mean, exactly. it, all roads go through Ohio State. You still got Penn State to contend with. So, you know, again, it, it, it's prove it time. But I think that this is recognition of the fact that the Big Ten, Big Ten officials screwed up in that game. It was a tight game anyway. One that Michigan. It was up by 16 points in the second half, despite everything. But again, they had a touchdown taken off the board. That it, did that lose them the game? No one can say that. Did that impact the game significantly? Absolutely, it did. And that's why Harbaugh, I think, was was right to talk about it publicly. And I think that committee members probably taking that into account. Like, wait a minute, this is a tight game, and they took points away. Yeah, who's better? The team that has a defense that's decent or the team that has a defense that is last in the country in pass defense. 130 teams, Bryce. 130 teams in FBS. Where's Michigan State's pass defense? I just gave you a huge hint. 
Yeah, and I 130, mean, Bryce. 130, I, man. I'm just saying. I'm just saying too. Michigan State didn't they give up like a thousand yards passing in yes. two weeks? I know that can't be good, right? <laughs> I'm not no math expert, but right, all that right, can't be that good. All right, so we're we're going off on a tangent here. We got to talk recruiting. By the way, things as we head into the Ohio State week gonna really heat up. Definitely going to see more about visitors. We've been across the country to see different guys. I know that we just had Newkirk go see Dante Moore again. I know he's a 23, uh, but some 22s really, really getting into the home stretch of their recruitments. So if you aren't a member over on the MichiganInsider.com, do not wait. Do not hesitate. You can get in for a dollar right now. That'll get you through all the way through maybe to the early signing period. And then I think you'll want to stick with us after that. Of course, if you like this podcast, be sure to rate it. Be sure to review it. Be sure to tell all your friends about it. They can find it wherever they get their podcast, whatever platform they like. All right, now let's get down to business. I talked a lot about Amarion Walker last week being a huge flip candidate. Still feel strongly about that. But then we talked about Caleb Webb. East Carolina commit, official visitor, Bryce, Michigan now front and center with a guy who physically is in the profile of these receivers that Michigan has been recruiting in this cycle, right? I, I hope people, have, if you've been paying attention, you see a theme to the receivers. Think about it. Dane Key, 6'3", about 200. Darius Clemens, 6'3", about 215. Hamarian Walker, 6'4", about 175. Caleb Webb, 6'3", about 190. They're looking for length with speed, Bryce. Well, he fits the bill. Like you said, I mean, those measurables, plus Sam, too. He ran a... 10-9-1 in the 100-meter dash, so the kid can definitely fly. Um, this is a kid they've been monitoring, keeping tabs on for quite a bit, and it was one of those things where I think once certain targets went off the board, you know, and especially with Tyler Morris coming off this injury, they know they need to bring another wide out. Caleb Webb is the guy that's been excelling, has been having a great senior season, and he's the guy that they offered late October. Got him up on official visit. Had a great time. I know his family came up there. They seem to be all smiles and enjoying everything during their time in the big house. Um, but he wasn't alone, Sam, too. I mean, his teammate, Bryce Archie, who's committed to Coastal Carolina, his quarterback also came up. And funny thing about him is Michigan found out, kind of came up upon him and discovered him watching Caleb Webb. They were watching his highlights, and they said, wait a minute, who's this quarterback throwing the ball? And so once they saw that, a couple of days after Caleb Webb got his offer in late, late October, Bryce got his offer as well. They both took official visit. They both, from what I've been hearing, really, really enjoyed their visits. Um, and I think right now Michigan's in prime position to flip both these guys. So looking good for both. It's going to be interesting to see where things go. But they're both guys that I know Michigan really likes. And at positions that I think they still want to add one more. And, you know, why not? We talked about that, but also quarterback. You know, they have one guy committed there in Jaden Denegal. Um, right now he's been kind of out for a couple weeks from an injury. But at the same time, you never know what could happen at the position of quarterback, especially in the transfer portal kind of, you know, years and kind of how everything's been going with that. So you have to be prepared. You have to have the numbers. You can't have the cupboard empty. I think Michigan's keeping all, you know, their dots. Um, they're keeping all their corners crossed and, you know, going from there. You know, he's a guy that and we got this question, so let's go ahead and knock it out here. Is it is it Caleb Webb or Amarion Walker or Caleb Webb and Amarion Walker? And it's 
and uh, Michigan will take both of these guys, uh, both guys with length, with speed. And again, you know, I know you said they 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 look at their board and they're sort of, uh, you know, sort of expanding things a bit. But people shouldn't get the wrong impression uh, about this maybe being reached. It's very much, very much in line with some of the other recruitments that we've been talking about in this cycle. Mason Graham was committed to Boise State, right? He has a great senior season. They had some awareness of him, but you scout him his senior season and you really see that, oh, man, this dude is is better than Boise State. Very similar when you talk about Caleb Webb here, uh, Steve. And I know we sound like a broken record with this, but it is so true that this cycle is different. And so it is going to be the case that down the stretch, Michigan and other places, you're going to see some guys showing up with offers like, who he's committed to? Who, where did he come from? And it's because they had big-time senior seasons, and there are going to be more guys that emerge like that in this cycle because of COVID. Yep. I think we mentioned with with uh, Webb specifically to ignore the East Carolina commitment. He's got six SEC offers. Uh, I know Andrew Ivins, who does South the Southeast for us now, uh, does a great job scouting guys down there. Uh, he thinks Caleb Webb is an NFL, a future NFL player. Uh, I don't know if that means his ranking rating is going to go up or whatever, but I think it does mean that our guy who's responsible for scouting that area is very, very high on him. Uh, he holds an 88 rating with us right now. Ole Miss is another program that's heavy after him. Uh, Tennessee, I think South Carolina is another one too. You know, I can't speak as much about Bryce Archie and his ceiling and, and where, you know, where he fits as, as, with everything and the rankings and ratings, but with Webb specifically as a guy that our analysts are high on and, and obviously Michigan, it's not as if, uh, again, I think another thing to always kind of keep an eye on, it's not as if they're throwing a ton of offers out there necessarily, not just throwing crap against the wall uh, and seeing what sticks. I mean, they're, they're judicious in these offers late in the process because they're going after guys that they think, can can be as good or better as some of the maybe earlier targets or higher ranked guys that ended up elsewhere. So uh, yeah, no Webb Webb's film jumps out for sure. I mean, he looks like a, a stud. You know, I, I guess the, the one thing that I I wondered about was with the offer and visit from Michigan, sort of speed up his timetable, uh, and it hasn't. I mean, I I definitely think that I, pressing for a commitment is the wrong. Uh, is the wrong phrase, uh, but I, I definitely think it was made clear to him, hey, we we want you. <laughs> if you're ready to come right now, we're ready to take you. I think that was that was clear, but you got to look at things from his perspective. Here the kid has been committed to East Carolina, and all of a sudden Louisville was on him with both feet. Tennessee wants him really badly. Ole Miss wants him. Now Michigan is bringing him up. Who knows what else is to come? So I can see how that might be. Uh, that might be a little enticing to, to play the waiting game. But again, he's he's a really good student from what I understand as well. Like, you know, in the mid threes, 3.5 GPA, I just think that the combination of things between the on-field opportunity, you know, he's definitely a unique piece in the receiver room. We've been talking about how they're looking to add size. I, I just think that all of those things together, I agree with Bryce, really going to kind of put them in the or has put them in the driver's seat there time will tell though he he has said he's going to be very deliberate he doesn't have a specific timeline that he's going to go by he's going to take his time and to me I just think that that's about hey are there some other schools maybe lurking haven't heard about any 
but the the other schools that he's on or that are that that are on him, Ole Miss. I mean, I guess they could be appealing, but is Lane Kiffin gonna be there? Tennessee, but is tit they're they're coming up, but is Tennessee gonna go on probation? South Carolina, they don't look like they're doing that well. I mean, you look at all of the factors that a guy could want to look at. The one thing that would be working against Michigan is distance from home, and that hasn't, at least uh, you know, from what I heard up to this point, emerged as uh, a big factor. So time will tell on Caleb Webb, a big, big-time target for them. Of course, though, we got to talk about, fellas, the big news out of last week was another official visitor, but not to Michigan. It was one Mr. Damani Jackson. I'm sure you guys took a ton of questions about Greg Biggins' report coming out of Damani's visit to Alabama, which I, I told you guys about if you read my most recent blog. They would be taking that visit to Bama for the LSU game. Uh, heading into that visit, you know, for me, it was Michigan and SC. You, you saw Greg Biggins said, hey, hey, Michigan is the biggest threat to SC. Coming out of that visit, though, Damani himself said, hey, it's – Kind of Michigan and, excuse me, kind of Bama and SC. I'm still looking at Michigan, but it's mainly Bama and SC. To which a lot of Michigan fans are like, well, what the heck? What the hell? I think even Biggins was like that. So we got to parse this for a minute, guys. I think there are a couple of things at, at play, and I want you guys, your, your takes on it. You know, he is a kid who I think he has really good time on visits. I think that's number one. I also think that how could you not, if you're a defensive back recruit, how could you not be impressed with the track record, not only for winning, but specifically for developing defensive backs and sending them to the NFL? I mean, those are all appealing attributes, and he just made it to campus for a big game. You put all those things together, Steve, and I guess I'm not I'm not that surprised uh, in retrospect, that he came out speaking so glowingly of them. Uh, but it it is a sign that for for Michigan anyway, that there's still a there there's still some significant work to do if they're gonna bring that home. But I do not think it's over. I I, I think it's a long way from over with Damani Jackson. It's important now the Ohio State game becomes pretty important, right? I think Michigan absolutely has to get him back up to campus. That was his what was that his first non-USC visit in since the last time he was at Michigan? Well, he's been to Bama. Uh, since, oh, since he's been to Michigan? Oh, yeah. I think that is his, his first visit. Like his first, like he, yeah. yeah, he hasn't visited. It's not like he's been out visiting a bunch of other programs and stuff. I know early in the process, well, you, you guys know, I mean, he, he nearly verbaled to Michigan mm-hmm. when he came for the Wisconsin game last year. I know he gave our Texas writers a really good Texas vibe uh, early in the recruitment, too. He was either supposed to visit or did visit and had uh, given their staff a really good feeling about where they stood. So it's, to me, I, I guess, honest opinion here, it's part afterglow, part Bama being Bama. Because, again, like you said, Sam, you can't, you're not going to blame a kid uh, for wanting to maybe go play at Alabama with, with the amount of guys they've put out at every position at this point. You know, they're always going to be appealing. There's always going to be a draw there, um, at least as long as Nick Saban's the head coach. So, you know, understandable that he'd come out of that visit very impressed. I'm just, I do think it's a situation maybe we wait a week or two. Let's see if Michigan can can reel him back in to get him back on campus and then kind of go from there with it. I, I just have a hard time thinking one visit uh, all of a sudden maybe throws away all of these things that we know 
about this recruitment. You know, you talk about the bond with Will Johnson, all the other stuff, all the other stuff about, you know, uh, really loving Michigan growing up and he's had excellent visits to campus too. It's not as if, uh, you know, it's, it's Michigan, uh, you know, crossing their fingers and hoping, I mean, he's had, he's taken multiple trips to Michigan and tangibly had a good time each time he's been there. So um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not overly surprised just because, like I said, there is a history of him really, like you said, enjoying the visits. You know, like I said, the first thing I thought of after with the, after reading Greg's article was his, uh, the Texas stuff uh, that I remember early on. And then Texas was like literally out of his recruitment, like a month and a month and a half later. So no reason for Michigan to put all their eggs in one basket here at corner, but it's not one that I think that we should be writing off at this point either. Yeah. I, I think you, you, you don't panic, but you, I think it's great, great advice. I think it's actually the strategy that Michigan is following. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm hearing that they, they are definitely casting a wide net uh, here, sort of looking across the country at maybe, uh, you know, emerging talents at the corner position. Uh, you know, guys who had big senior years like Caleb Webb at, at receiver. See if there are any guys like that in state and beyond. And see where that goes. But back to Damani Jackson. I mean, when I was out in Cali, one of the things that was clear. So I think there are two things that are important to Michigan's chances down the stretch. Maybe three. Uh, but one of them being how Michigan finishes. And so why is that important? And I saw people saying on the board, well, wait a minute. So Michigan has to prove it. Has to prove itself. But USC doesn't. First of all, he's committed to SC. SC is at home. He's really, really really um, close with Dante Williams, the defensive backs coach and co-DC and now the interim head coach out there. So it, he's already committed to them. He, he knows that that's a rebuilding project out there. If he's going to leave home, and this is how Michigan, how the finish is important. If he's going to leave home, my perception of things is that he wants to leave home and go to a place that he knows is going to win and develop him. Well, guess what, Bama? Guess what you know at Bama, right? You know you're going to win at Bama. You know their track record for development. So I think that that's, you know, those are our big feathers in the Bama cap. What Michigan has over Bama, though, the relationships. The relationships and the, and the boyhood affinity. And so if they can show that, hey, you know what, this, there really is an uptick. There really is the odds of you winning, you know, having – high-level success here, really, really good, then I think that they, then you can beat Bama, even though you can't match their track record for, you know, for winning or their track record for putting corners in the NFL. There's Whatever winning Michigan does this year will not match Bama. But can you at least show him you're directionally correct? If you can show him you're directionally correct, then, hey, now your relationships can, can tip the scales in your favor. The other thing that is a major factor, and Steve, you pointed to this, can you get him on campus for the SC game? When I asked his dad, Randy, about it out in Cali, I know Randy listens to the to the podcast. What's up, Randy? How you doing? He said, we don't have any plans to go anyplace else, but we'll see. That but we'll see in, in Michigan-Ohio State, especially if the stakes are high, man, I could, I could see that visit really happening. As a matter of fact, there's some uh, in and around the class who – who expect it to, who think that he's going to be here. Now, I want to be clear. Randy nor Damani have said publicly that they're coming. I'm just telling you what the feeling is 
uh, around the class that, hey, you know, there's a good chance that he shows up back on campus. And here's the final factor. Dante Williams. Rice, is Dante Williams going to be at USC beyond this year? Do you you got a crystal ball over there on that? I mean, can, can you predict that? Do you know that? Let me check one second. Let me put the <laughs> let me put a corn in the vending machine. Let's see what pops out. Right, I'm asking that question for a reason because look, apparently, and and Greg Biggins said this in in my interview with him. Apparently, Dante Williams, outstanding recruiter that he is, is telling recruits that he is going to be at USC no matter what, regardless. He's going to be whoever the coach is. They got to keep him. Sounds good. Sounds good. But will that really be the like? What coach can you? What coach are you gonna get that you're gonna be able to dictate his staff to him and a significant part of his salary pool? It might be the case. It might work out that way. But can you guarantee it? And will that be determined by the early signing period? So you got you get a new head coach, you get him hired. And then he has his staff, or at least Dante Williams' future determined by mid-December. Can all those ducks get in a row for SC? Maybe. Uh, but I could also see a scenario where he's not at SC, uh, where he's not retained. Or, to Greg's point, where he decides to just look seek a better opportunity. I mean, we've seen Dante Williams at Arizona, at Nebraska, at Oregon, and SC. He jumps around. He jumps around. So, you know, all, all those factors to me make it not a slam dunk that he is at USC beyond, uh, beyond December. Time will tell on that, but it's, it's another reason why if you're Michigan, you don't panic. You, you stay the course. You continue to recruit him. You try to get him on campus for that, for that Ohio State game and see where the chips fall after that, you know. And the rest, as they say, you know, you, you 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 see how it works out. You see what other DBs, what other corners with speed that you can find out there on the uh, on the recruiting trail. But hey, Bryce, Jimmy Rolder, uh, you know, I, I wanted to touch on this down the stretch here as we look at how Michigan might round out this recruiting class. I say a Marion Walker, absolutely. You, you gotta like where Michigan is with Josh Connerly, but he has. I think a couple of visits that he's going to take. I know he's going to try to get to Oklahoma. Uh, there's another school that he's he's looking to visit. I know Oklahoma is one of them. But I like where Michigan is with Josh Connerly feeling good about that crystal ball. The, the next one, and I'm getting kind of close to, Bryce, is Jimmy Rolder. And I'm wondering what you're hearing about him at this point. Yeah, I mean, Michigan, uh, uh, arguably the hottest recruit out there in terms of offers. I mean, Sam, he got offer, I want to say, a month or two ago from Ball State, he was committed to Illinois for baseball. So, I mean, football wasn't even on his really radar to play at the next level. And next thing you know, he's got Michigan calling, Ohio State calling, Iowa calling, Wisconsin calling, um, LSU. I mean, it was just – he's blown up. And so 6'2", 220, hard physical linebacker. Michigan likes him on the inside. And, what you know, once they offered him, I want to say about a month ago – they acted on him quick. I mean, during the bye week, Mike McDonald went to his game, and that was a huge deal for not only him, but his stepfather, his whole family. And so Michigan's continued the pursuit. They actually got him on campus. He loved the trip. Um, like I said, huge baseball fan, loves baseball. Michigan talked to him about, hey, 
we we've had guys do it before uh -huh. you know joey v so if you want to do it you can uh, i talked to a stepfather and i said listen if my boy's gonna play middle linebacker in the big time he's not playing baseball <laughs> he's like he's that i don't think he's gonna have a swing of bat after yeah. playing in the big Ten for so many weeks um so i don't know if he's really gonna play both sports but he wants to do football He's really looking at Michigan, and right now the vibe I'm getting from talking to people around his uh, recruitment, people who have seen him recently too, is this looks like an Iowa-Michigan battle. Mm -hmm. And even some right now are giving the slight edge to Michigan. I'm kind of trending, you know, on that fence too. I might be close to him, be putting in crystal ball. I know he doesn't want to, you know, take too much time on his uh, recruitment. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, man, I'm I'm close with you too. And the, I guess the other one that I'm really close on is is Zeke Berry. Uh, I mean, it's Michigan, Oregon for Zeke Berry. I know there are some other schools in there, but he's been to Oregon, hasn't been to Michigan. And I'm telling you, you know, talking to the family, they it's not the family's decision, but I, where I think they are. In this, I just don't think that the tether to home is going to be a big deal. I think mom really likes Michigan. I know his brother really likes Michigan. I think it's all a matter of how the visit goes. He has one visit remaining. He, it, it's Michigan's visit. It's just a matter of getting over here when the season is over. And, man, I, I think that the Wolverines, if, if they do how they typically do on visits, I think that they will close that one out. It's just hard to crystal ball a guy that hasn't – I mean, that's Steve. I don't know if you have like a formula for how you do crystal balls. It's just hard for me to crystal ball a guy who hasn't seen campus yet. But just being out there talking to him and talking to the family, I mean, if it was just based on those conversations, I would crystal ball him. But not having been here yet, he's been to Oregon. That's that's giving me a little pause when it comes to Zeke Berry. Yeah, not a kid from California. I don't think we would crystal ball before he's actually been to. Ann Arbor uh, with Jimmy Rolder. I just had to look it up to make sure I wrote on October 18th and I wouldn't be one bit surprised if Michigan led there had not been told otherwise to this point. And that included, I think the Ohio state visit naturally won. You wait to see what comes out of that before you uh, maybe really feel good there. If you're Michigan, whether it's been Iowa, Michigan or not, you just, we know how Ohio state does on the trail. Uh, but, but as Bryce said, it does feel like Michigan or Iowa uh, to Iowa's credit. You know, they've produced guys. I can see the appeal there to want to play in their defense. But, you know, with Lander Barton, I think Blair Angulo put in a crystal ball for Utah today. For Lander Barton, uh, Roller's pretty a pretty important recruit for Michigan all of a sudden. So, you know, a little bit of pressure on them to maybe kind of beat the Hawkeyes in that recruitment. But, but yeah, I'm, I'm actually been with you guys on that one. Uh, and I have been on the train for Roller to Michigan. Just he's been very judicious about his process, though, so it's hard to – you know, no timeline, one of those types of deals. He's talking about taking more visits. I think he's actually seen a few more offers uh, come his way. I want to say Florida, uh, a couple other schools have offered him recently. So, you know, he still appears to be listening to other programs. So maybe not quite yet. But, yeah, I mean, if I was if I was forced to crystal ball someone today with him, it would probably be Michigan. Um, you know, and like I said, very important recruit all of a sudden. In an area where Michigan's had a lot of luck, too. I mean, they've done really well in Illinois. You know, and there's a lot of appeal for Chicago area kids to uh, to play at Michigan and, you know, could be a better prospect than Barton, too. I think that, I think they're pretty comparable players. And uh, last thing with Roller, another example of a lot of a guy who was nowhere on the recruiting scene <laughs> yep. two or three months ago. Yeah, we've said this all process that this was going to happen and you're seeing it now. He's a four star now, you know, which to me says a lot 
for a guy to just burst onto the scene and, and really kind of enter four-star status so quickly says a lot about his potential ability at the college level. Right. One nugget on our on our way out of this segment. I just think that you're not only looking at guys who are late emerging seniors, you know, guys who are having great senior years like Caleb Webb and Jimmy Rolder. You also might be coming back around, taking a run at kicking the tires with guys that you ran the race with earlier. Guy like Keon Sab. Maybe you put in a call. Maybe you see what's up. Maybe he responds in a way that makes you think he might give you another look. We shall see on that. That's that's called a cliffhanger. In the meantime, in between time, uh, I want to switch gears and focus on an interview that I did with the track coach for one of the top athletes I, I've ever covered, guys. I mean, Nicholas Harbor, we talked about him before. Uh, Washington, D.C., Archbishop Carroll. This kid is all of 6'4", 6'5", 225 pounds, and he is a legit 10, 300 meter. He is a freakish athlete. I, I just, you, you wonder what he's going to be. He could maybe be a linebacker. He could be a receiver. He could be a crazy athletic tight end. He could do any of those things. He has racked up the offers. Michigan, he visited earlier in the fall. Uh, they are one of the early schools on him, I think, in good position. So is Penn State. His sister went to Penn State. So they're, they're a school to look out for. But Michigan, his mom's from Detroit. His track coach is a Michigan law grad. She's the one, She brought him up on a visit. Very, very partial to Michigan. She is. She's not pushing him there. But Michigan has some ends there. And she said this kid is just scratching the surface of what he could be athletically. Think about this as we go to this break. She believes that he will be a sub-10-second, 100-meter dash guy before he graduates high school. She thinks he might be. he might even be sub 10 second 100 meter this summer the kid is a junior in high school he is an absolute freak of nature athletically and a huge priority in the 2023 class i mean you know you're talking maybe only dante moore is is a higher priority because he's a quarterback or as high anyway uh so have an interview with the track coach for nicholas harbour on the other side here on the michigan recruiting insider This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And we're back here, folks, on the Michigan Recruiting Insider. And pleased to be joined by a special guest. You might know that a little bit earlier in the season, I made it down to the nation's capital. Made it down to Washington, D.C. Because there's a prospect down there that I heard about. I I had to see him to believe him. 6'5". 220 pounds and a a recorded 
fully automatic. 10, 3, 8, 100 meter dash time at 15 years old. At 15 years old. Right, let me repeat that. 6, 5, 225, and a 10, 3, 800 meter dash time at 15 years old. And 21, 3, I believe, in a 200 meter. His name is Nicholas Harbor. He is now a junior in high school. He's 16 years old now. Uh, he is one of the most heavily recruited football prospects in the country with offers from coast to coast. Also has an offer from the University of Michigan. He is at or near the top of their 2023 recruiting board. I went down to see him, and this is as freakish an athlete as I have seen in all my years doing this uh, and is just scratching the surface of what he can be as a football player and probably even as a track athlete. And so his track coach is largely responsible for putting him on Michigan's radar. She is a Michigan grad. She has coached elite track athletes before this one. But this one right now in Nicholas Harbor is one who she believes is a world-class talent. And so joining us now is Miss Pamela Crockett. Coach Pam, as they call her, joins us right now here on the Michigan Recruiting Insider. Thank you for joining us, Pam. Not a problem at all. All right. So let's let's just start off first with, uh, you know, just starting with some some background on on Nick. Obviously, a very very special special talent. And I'm curious when you connected with him uh, and started coaching him between then and now, kind of bring us up to speed on, on your background with him. Sure. Nick came to me when he was eight years old. Wow. He went to run track, and oddly enough, he went to the largest track team in the area, and they told him they didn't have any more room for athletes, and he was devastated because he had done a track camp at the place where we do all of our track meets. It's called the Sports and Learning Complex. And he had done an event at the track camp, and you know everyone had told him how fast he was, and so he was ready to formally join a team. And they told him they didn't have any room. And he was walking out, and he saw a gentleman named Aaron who had just joined our track team. And Aaron's dad said, "Why don't you try full team? They don't full speed. They don't have tryouts, and they don't reject kids." And so Nicholas' parents called us, and they came to practice. And my sister is a standout athlete. I mean, you know, we're, we're older now, so we don't run. But my sister was a phenomenal athlete. She ran at UVA on a full scholarship. And I called her and I said, Tracy, this little boy came to practice. And I think he can be the greatest athlete ever. And I told the other coaches and they thought I was crazy. They were like, you saw him practice one day. You haven't seen him run any other meets. And I said, what I have learned in my professional life, in my personal life, in my track life, I know what I know and I know what I don't know. And this young man is special. And we ran our first track meet probably from that day about five weeks later. And one of the coaches came to me and said, I never saw him do that before. And I said, that's the little boy that I was trying to tell you. <laughs> I saw that day one. He definitely had something special. And then just you know, to, to kind of speed up just to make this point, what endeared me to Nick, because when you have an athlete that good, it's hard to coach. And people think that you're favoring him or you like him because he's fast. And one of the things I used to always tell the parents, like I coach my own kids 
So I've learned not to display favoritism because you know, my youngest son is on this team. And if I was going to display favoritism, it would be easy, mm-hmm. you know, but, but one of the greatest compliments I've ever gotten is kids on the team didn't realize that Bob was my son, which told me that I treated Bob like everybody else. He called me coach Pam. He only called me mommy one time to make a point because the kids were like, that's not your mom. And he said, mommy. And I turned around like, why are you calling me mommy? And like, that's really your mom. But, you know, Nick has, he's so easy to coach because he's always wanted to be good. And then he wanted to be better. And then he was convinced he could be the best. I, I can recall a time when he was 11 years old and his dad had to work and Nick was calling his friends on the team, trying to coordinate his own ride to practice with his friends and their parents. And I said, that really is, again, pretty special because a lot of kids would just be glad for the day off. Uh And Nicholas, at 11, was calling, you know, asking his friends, can you know, really respectful, can you ask your your, your dad if I can ride with you guys to practice if it's not asking too much? If he couldn't coordinate a ride, he would say, again, Coach Pam, if it's not asking too much, can I come to practice with you? Because he wouldn't want to miss practice. So, right. And when, you know, anyone who's in any some, you know, any level of organized sports or any talent driven activity, if it's a musician, when you see that level of dedication, you know, you're working with something and someone special because you can't teach a child that that's just part of who they are and what they come with. Yeah. And so uh, you saw it at eight. Now everyone mm-hmm. is seeing it at what, 16 or however old he is right now. Right. You know, at 15, when he just broke out and started, well, actually here's the crazy thing from that same year, Nicholas won his first, well, he, he started out right before the year turned. So, that you know, when the year turned and we had our first national um championship, Nick won a national title. Like he's been winning national titles since he his birthday hadn't even come yet. So he had to run in the nine-year-old division, but he won the national title at um 50 55 meters. Mm. So has been has won a national title pretty much every year since then. So you said you saw at eight years old that he mm-hmm. had the potential to be the, the greatest Trek athlete you'd ever been around. And I, I'm curious, just in all of your travels, all your participation in the sport, you know, 10, 300 meters at 15. Have, have you have you heard it? Have you seen that? Have you come across I, that? I have. You know, I say it informally, but as as people say, I say it with my chest. I'm pretty confident that's the under 16 world champion, world record because I just haven't seen it. And the crazy thing, you know, I don't know how much you follow track and field, but what people locally can respect, I coached a kid named Ashton Allen and everybody thought Ashton was the greatest youth athlete they had ever seen. I I coached, I was, I introduced Ashton to the sport. He ran with me when he was seven and eight and he ran with me when he was nine. And then when he was no, he ran with me when he was seven and eight. When he was nine, his dad started his own team. But Ashton was the kid who won everything. One, we'd go to nationals. He'd win three national titles. He'd break records. And when Nick came into the sport, he immediately obliterated Ashton's records. And I was like, again, I know I'm not crazy because everybody, 
from the time Ashton was small. And Ashton is currently on the roster at USC. Mm-hmm. Everybody was like, this is going to be like the greatest kid who ever came from here. And lo and behold, like 10 years old, nine, nine years old, Nick was already running faster than Ashton at that age. And people started to say, well, is she really that good of a coach or is she really that lucky? Because <laughs> the fastest kids who have come this way are her kids. Yeah, well, I, I, I'll take it either way. I, I don't feel any particular way one way or the other, because I also have a kid named Marcus Brown, who Marcus Brown is pretty much the only local kid who has beat Nicholas Harbor. And one of the parents used to always say, you have the hardest job in the world to coach two kids that good. And one thing that I said to myself early on, I will never make these kids rivals. I don't believe in that. I told them both standing in front of each other. I don't coach anybody to take second place, but because you two are so good and you race in the same age group, someone has to. And when it's over, it's over. We show back up at practice and we lace up for the next race. And that's how we proceed. And they actually, you know, uh, ended up at the same high school. So they run for the same youth club and they run on the same high school team. Yeah, that's outstanding. That's outstanding. So uh, when I came down, I, I asked Nick probably a question that most people would think was ridiculous if they heard me ask it. But I said, hey, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're 10 3. You were 10 3 as a sophomore. Do you think you can, do you think it's possible to be sub 10 by the time you graduate? And he sort of laughed. He, he, he laughed about it and was like, ah, we, we'll have a different conversation if I, if I get that fast. But do you think that that's, do you think that's an unrealistic? Sam, no, here's the deal, right? If I can find it for you, I would read it to you truthfully. Because I saw how good this kid was going to be, when he was 10, I put together a forecast of of where I thought he should be. And I put this together. If we're in 2021, I had to put it together in about 2015 or 2016. And I told him he would run sub 10. And in all honesty, at this point, even though I had him run in 99 Next year, he's ahead of where I thought he would be. He'll run nine, 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 or nine, eight this year. And if he doesn't run faster <laughs> next year, it's simply because he just enjoyed himself and did football and just kind of rode it out until he, he was ready to go to college. But last year, you know, the pandemic, oh my goodness, you know, you accept it, but you're like, man, did this thing leave us with so many what ifs? Because when Nicholas ran 10-3 at the beginning of the season in March, if he would have been able to run youth track all the way through August uninterrupted, I was confident that he would have broken 10 this year. So to wow. say it's unrealistic, it's it's unrealistic that he won't break 10 seconds, honestly. Wow. So, you know, a, a talent that special, that that unique it you know he loves football can is there going to come a point where he is going to have to choose between them you think i i don't think that that's inevitable and will will support him in whatever he does i'm not big on leading kids to something unless i just see they're completely kind of out of out of the ballpark and what they should be doing because then I believe it's my job to reel them in. Uh But one of the things that I thought about was, hey, Nicholas, 
freshman year, you do both. You do both to the absolute best of your ability. You show up in Eugene, Oregon at the Olympic trials and you make that team. And you go to uh, 2024 is Paris. You go to Paris and you win a gold medal and you win a gold medal in that four by one. And then if you want to be done or you want to take a hiatus, you have accomplished a major dream and you're still a teenager. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. And then you can put that, you know, and, and again, I'm just trying to help him walk through this because I know how hard of a choice it's going to be. And at that point you can then say, you know what? I want to really put my energy into collegiate football and see what I can do. And again, you know, healthy staying healthy, of course, is always the big plus. But I'm not really I'm not really a coach who is fearful of being healthy because I I, I'm a huge Peyton Manning fan. And when I saw what happened with Peyton Manning when he left Indianapolis, had surgery and showed back up in Denver, I was like, okay, when we were watching the six million dollar man and the bionic woman, we thought it was just television. It was happening, and that's where we are. So very, you know, I just have watched. I have watched medicine rebuild athletes. So it's just a matter of the biggest issue I think that athletes face is timing more more so even than injury. Mm-hmm. So I, just to stick with track, just for a, a few minutes more, because the the comparison and I said this to Nick. I said I, I know, uh, you know, when people talk to you about track, it has to be Usain Bolt. Has to be, because just the the uniqueness of an athlete that long with stride length like that. I always thought that there's just no way if he's at the top of his game, and the guys he's racing against are at the top of their games, they just can't compare because the stride length difference is just so significant. So you know what's crazy? Stride length, I can, to me, honestly. It doesn't really come into play so much because okay. if you look at Leanne Frazier, she's what five feet. Mm-hmm. Carrie Richardson, five one. His top end speed is unbelievable, and that is why. In one of in in some of the few races that Nicholas hasn't won, you could see him in seventh place at the seventy meters, and he'll win. Or take second, you know, a real close second that he could lean for first, because if he doesn't get out in a good start, by the time he gets to that 50 or 60, his top end speed is so unbelievable. That's the part that makes me say, you know what? You're still only 16, but but we can race. We can race grown men, Nicholas. And the cool part about high school, when he was younger, moving up was was kind of a daunting task it's like when you're the man in eighth grade and then you go to ninth grade and it's a senior high school has helped him get over that because as a freshman you got to race everybody mm-hmm. and he wasn't afraid he he stepped up to that challenge lovely so at this point again you know he's finally a, a quasi upperclassman being in the 11th grade not a senior yet but i believe he he can race anyone at the senior level, he can race anyone in college and he can race anyone in the pros and, and we'll be fine with the outcome. All right. So let's talk Michigan now. He he mentioned that Michigan's path to recruiting him was a bit different because they were on him for track before they were on him for football. But now it seems like they're on him for both equally hard. So kind of 
familiarize me with with his Michigan recruitment from your perspective? When did you see them get in, and how do you see them sort of fitting into the equation with him at this point? Okay, so I'm a Michigan alum, and and like anyone else who ever stepped or stepped foot on the soil of the University of Michigan campus, you become indoctrinated. It, it wasn't even the easiest experience for me. It was, you know, I, I went to law school at Michigan in the late 80s, early 90s. It was a very difficult experience for me as a young African-American woman coming from a major inner city. But as everyone promised me, once you leave Michigan, your life will be X. Everything that I was ever told manifested. So I'm extremely proud of my school. I do not do it, you know, to try to influence kids, but I think almost every day that I go to practice, I have a Michigan attire. That's really pretty much all the sporting attire that I have <laughs> um, because I've collected it over the millennia at this point. So my daughter ran for the University of Michigan. And then um, Zaya Holman is an athlete who I have advised and kind of taken under my wing. And She's when amazing. She was in high school, when, she was, when Zaya was in high school, uh, it was so bizarre. I went up to her to track me. I went up to her coach to track me and said, I believe she could be really special, but you guys have her running on far too local of um, a circuit. I said, she has to meet national talent and it will change everything. I said, there's a great, a big meet called Great Southwest out in New Mexico. If you guys will allow Zaya to go to that meet, I think it will change her entire track trajectory. She went out there. She didn't win, but she ran 53 seconds, and it changed everything. And I remember the meet, the same meet where I had said to her and her, her mom, because I was speaking to the adults, that she needed to, to take a look at the circuit and compete against the best kids in the country. Uh, there were college coaches at the meet that I was telling them, hey, you guys need to recruit her. And they were telling me, I can't recruit a, I can't offer a scholarship on potential. She's only running 55 seconds. And I said, guys, this is a 52 second 400 meter runner in high school. And they kind of blew me off. And then almost one year to the day, a little bit lighter, maybe closer to 13 months. She ran 52.12. And those coaches called me and they're like, how did you know, Pam? That's impossible. <laughs> Who goes from 55 seconds to 52 seconds? But oddly enough, one of the people who took me seriously when I said she was a 52-second 400-meter runner was Coach James Henry at the University of uh -huh. Michigan. He said, hey, I know you know what you're talking about. And if you're telling me she's this good, then I'm interested. So. I've just always been involved with Michigan. And as Nicholas came along, and I see them all the time. I talk to them. They have a great relationship. They were phenomenal by my daughter. She ended up sustaining um, a hip. Well, it wasn't so much a hip injury. She found out she was born with dysplasia, and she had to have hip surgery when she was in Michigan. And the manner in which that school came through for my daughter during that process was bigger than anything I had ever seen. I couldn't care less in all honesty about national titles and so on, but the level of care mm -hmm. that they exercised to make sure she got the best treatment she could. And she actually had almost a, a, a semi hip replacement and returned as the fastest freshman of this fastest printer at the university after having to sit out. It, took, it was a full one year recovery. Mm -hmm. She was in a wheelchair from January 16th she didn't take her first step without a wheelchair or crutches until April. Uh, 
So again, this I, I had already loved this place. I had already, you know, every t-shirt, every color, every form of maze, I already had that. And then for you to do that for my daughter, it's like, if I can say to anyone, consider it. Again, I can't influence anyone to go anywhere. Consider it because a lot of people don't associate Michigan track team with, you know, super fast sprinters. And I, I will tell anyone, my kids or anyone else, a program, any program could change tomorrow if two or three kids went there who ran that fast, uh-huh. which is what will happen, which is what is happening with Zaya Holman. Uh-huh. Because Zaya, you know, obliterated the conference, ended up as the number three freshman 400 meter runner in the country. And other people were like, whoa, Zaya ran 51 seconds and Michigan offers an incredible degree. Let me see what they're talking about. So just just to, to speed up the story, I was like, hey, Steve, I have I have two kids that I think are really special, Marcus Brown and Nicholas Harbor. And I would send him their times and send him their videos. And he was like, oh, my goodness, June, whatever date it was, first or 17th, June 17th, I think he said it was, June 17th to 2021. I want to talk to those kids. <laughs> and, you know, he was like, Pam, this this is unreal. Like, especially when he performed this year, he was like, it's 10-3. He'd be the fastest kid at Michigan, and he's only in the 10th grade. And so <laughs> right. I was like, hey, right. yep. you know, my kids also – also play football. I said, I know Michigan football isn't easy to attain. I said, but um, six five, still growing, and a four two forty. I think that you know goes over well anywhere. And so I, you know, started like I went on Twitter and I'm texting, you know, Nick stats to, or, or tweeting Nick stats to Michigan football to Jim Harbaugh to whomever, and I'm like, guys. I don't even know. I know you have a billion followers. You may never see this, but somebody is going to see this. And then I had contact with the track coach after he had spoken with Nicholas. And I said, um, coach Nicholas has, you know, and it trusts me. It's hard for me because as a track coach, all I ever saw was track. But over the last two years, I did see the development of football. And I said, I think at least for consideration, wherever he's going to go, he has to be able to entertain both. And I said, I don't know what kind of relationship you have with football, but for, for, for track to make sense for him, it's going to at least have to be in the discussion. And then finally, Coach Rajeski made the connection. And as they say, it's all <laughs> it's history. It is, you know, the rest is history. Yeah, Nick said, he said, I got to thank you were the first one. He thanked when he talked about his Michigan offer. He said, Coach Pam, went to work on that one. He, and he reacted emotionally to the Michigan offer. And I'm curious, where where did that come from? Was, is his connection or feeling about Michigan, is that through you? Is it separate from it's you? Where so, does that come from? It's, it's so many levels. His mother grew up in Michigan. So Nicholas is a different kind of child. I'm sure you've noticed from talking to him. So a part of him is like, if I went to play in the big house, my family you know, my grandfather could come and see me, you know, it was, my mother grew up here and she's loved Michigan all her life. Like this could be something really special. And I remember when he started getting offers, that's when I was like, okay, hold up Michigan. Like y'all can't let, you know, my kid just be recruited by all these other places. (laughs) I know this is a really special place. 
you know, I have a kid who plays for Stanford that I tried to get recruited but couldn't get any traction. I have a kid who plays for Notre Dame who I tried to get recruited and didn't get any traction. I have a kid who plays for the New Orleans Saints who I tried to get recruited and couldn't get any traction. Both of my sons wanted to go to Michigan. I was like, okay, I'm I'm up to almost three outs with you guys, but this is not going to happen because this kid is he can add so many things to both programs in my eyes. And at the very least, look at him. You know, you may decide it doesn't make sense, but I believe if you look at him, it will make a lot of sense. (laughs) When they saw that that, you know, that 4-2 was legitimate, that that 10-3 was FAT, they were like, we're sorry. Like, we had a change, you know, we had a change in staff and, and it fell through it fell through the cracks, but we have all of your messages and all of your stuff here, and we are ready. We're ready to see what's happening with this kid. So, so did you when he came up to Michigan for the first time a couple of weeks ago? Did you come up with him? I did, but the the thing is, when I tell you I come to Michigan all the time, it's it's so funny to me because it was a very hard experience for me, but. The the most incredible full circle is it was such a wonderful experience for my daughter. And I accept the difficulty and the struggles that I had because it's no question in my life if I had to do it over a thousand times, I would. But when I saw the manifestation of what Michigan athletics, what Michigan as a university, I mean, my daughter would call me and be like, mommy, I'm going to an event with um, Condoleezza Rice. And it would be an intimate event. Like, you're going to sit at a table. She'd be like, I'm going to introduce Angela Davis for uh, Martin Luther King Diversity Day. Mommy, I'm going to show Susan Rice and her daughter around the university. I was like, okay, Michigan has gone to bottom <laughs> beyond. Said, Mommy, I'm going to be the speaker for the public policy graduation. I'm going to be the um, student speaker for, for graduation at the public policy graduation. I mean, they just treated her absolutely incredible. And it's, you know... I just see all of the places that they literally went above and beyond. And so it's hard to not endorse that or support that or feel great about that because you see how well it went in practice. You know, this is not theoretical. Oh, you go to Michigan. And we know this. You go to Michigan, you'll be a Michigan man, you'll be great. This, These are the things that are happening at Michigan that I know for a fact. So his- I had 30 plus years of experience. I'm knowing for a fact what Michigan does for people. So how did it, how did you see, you know, Nick, how did it impact him? What did you, what do you think he thought of the experience? I think, you know what I said to him? I said, Nick, I can scream Michigan to y'all all day, every day. And I'm sure in the back of people's mind, it's like, oh, that's just Coach Pan's alma mater. But when you get up to this university and he, one of his stops was at the, um, engineering campus or North campus where engineering is and the Ford um, library is. And then of course, you know, you come back down and you, you go to the main campus and then you get to Schembechler hall and then you get to the big house and then you go up the street to the track. And it's like coach Pam, all the promoting you did does not even tell the full story. (laughs) It's like, it goes from, People thinking, oh, this is just her alma mater. So she is not even really amplifying the experience that you can have at this really great institution. And you know what's so weird? Because I went to Michigan and and saw all the things like when I was at Michigan Law School, Michigan's law school was ranked higher than Stanford's law school. But 
people who don't go to Michigan or who are not from the Midwest, they literally only know football. They don't know anything about the academic, you know, giant that Michigan is. So uh, he, he absolutely, you know, he was overwhelmed, but I believe any kid would be. So as you know, your impressions, I'll ask him about his impressions of the coaching staff. He already sort of gave me a few comments on that, but just as you've gotten to know the coaches over the phone and then interact with them in person, what are your impressions of them, any of the coaches that you've dealt with at Michigan so far, on the football team? So you know the coolest thing? It's like, you, of course, you hear a thousand stories about Jim Harbaugh. And the one story nobody ever told me was he's funny. He made me laugh about silly stuff and about serious stuff. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, I I was talking to him one day and I, I had him on speaker because I couldn't get my headphones to work. And my daughter was um, working in another room. And she said, wow, he sounds really different from the person that people said he was. <laughs> Absolutely. But the coolest part is I said, oh, my goodness. Like, I remember when my... Uh, Port Harbor came back to Michigan the same day, the same year that my daughter started her freshman year. And I was like, these are just great signs. I mean, you know, being a Michigan person is like a lot of people will, will deride me or chide me about liking Brady. And I love Brady. I call him my nephew and it drives people crazy. I'm like, how could you like him? The Patriots cheat. I don't really care. I like Brady. I said nothing about the Patriots. I said nothing about the Buccaneers. Tom Brady is special <laughs> to me. We shared a common experience. And so, yeah, like I, I was extremely humbled and and surprised with Coach Harbaugh. Um, I met Biff Poggi. He's got to be one of the warmest spirits and most sincere people I've met at that level. He is trying to do something very different for young people. And that absolutely touches my heart because that's, I mean, he absolutely met me where I am. I think Courtney is an amazing, I'm sorry, I'm talking, I don't mean to be so informal, uh, the recruiting coordinator, Coach Morgan, absolutely incredible at what he does. Um, he dots his eyes, he crosses his T's, he's extremely personable, he's extremely warm, he's just really great at what he does. Um, I, I've only kind of had some interaction in passing with Coach Bellamy, but I'm just just very pleased with them as people. And and one thing that I saw when I went to Michigan that honestly blew me away, there was a young man named Deuce Spurlock. Uh-huh. He committed to Michigan when we were there. And wh- when I tell you, it literally almost brought tears to my eyes to see the love they showed that young man and to see how well he received that love and to see how special he deservingly felt that that meant a great deal to me. Mm-hmm. So let's let's fast forward down the line and pretend that Nick is at the point where he's getting ready to reach a decision. When he does that, what do you think are going to be the most significant factors in that in that decision? Education is going to be number one, if not education is going to be number one. And um, we were on a call once where I was um, listening in. And Nick and his mom were on a call with the coach and the coach was blown away because Nick said, education is my plan. A athletics is my plan B. And, and honestly, without even hearing the coach say so, 
I'm sure the coach was stunned that an athlete of his caliber was referencing education as his plan A and athletics as his plan B and not the other way around. So I think that he will go to um, a school that has extremely strong athletics. He will go someplace where he feels like they really want him and he's not just another kid. Um, And he'll go someplace where he believes that they can develop him and get him to the next level of whatever it is he's trying to accomplish. All right. You got me excited. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you so much for taking the time. Take care. All right. Bye-bye.